listening to the oneofus.net podcast network one of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions we do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads but on a case-by-case basis if you're interested in that contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com with the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. Hi, One of Us fans. This is Matt from the Nighthawks Podcast. And I'm Trevor of the Nighthawks Podcast. You may remember our ASMR-appropriate butterscotch baritone voices from several episodes of Screener Squad. And we're here to tell you about the Nighthawks Podcast, where you can also find us getting even more granular with the movies. You say it's called the Nighthawks Podcast? The Nighthawks Podcast. The very same Nighthawks Podcast that covers new movies, old movies, mainstream blockbusters, and cult classics from days gone by? The Nighthawks Podcast. That's available on Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, and other fine podcatchers. The Nighthawks Podcast is also available at nighthawkspodcast.com. Do you like how we keep saying Nighthawks Podcast? Nighthawks Podcast. It's kind of making me laugh the way a lot of reviews that are, of course, immediately out for the new film Malignant are saying James Wan's triumphant, or depending on you see, terrible return to horror. Literally, he's made one movie that wasn't horror since his last movie that was. <laughs> so I'm like, what do you mean it's triumphant? You act like he's been gone for a decade. It just made me laugh because I was like, this guy kind of is responsible along with, to about probably an equal degree, Jason Blum, of the rebirth of popular horror, or I should say populist horror. Not necessarily the stuff that the hardcore horror fans think is the best, but the stuff that is actually making money in theaters and is getting people, general audiences, back into it. For instance, he started the Saw franchise by directing the first two of those, and he started the Insidious franchise with directing the first two of those, and he started the Conjuring franchise directing the first two of those. So this is a guy who kind of knows how to make horror movies that put butts in seats. I mean, that being said, the poor theatrical release of Malignant, I think, has less to do with anything wrong with the movie than than it has to do with the fact that people are still resistant to go into theaters because of COVID, and that they also knew they could just stay home and watch this on H which it came out day and date same of. Malignant is his return to horror, starring Annabelle Wallace, who he worked with once before as his lead in the movie Dead Silence, an early horror film for him, who is having visions of people being murdered, and she thinks it might be connected back to her in some way other than the fact that she's psychically seeing it. But we'll get into that in a minute. Joining me on this review is Tessa. Hello! And Ray. Hello! This film has been very divisive. People either totally seem to be going bug nuts for it or they're like i don't understand why anyone likes this movie i'm kind of doing a really even middling here it wasn't that divisive for me i thought it did some things well and some things not so well i gave it a fair shake i didn't love it i didn't hate it i wanted to love this but again i'm like tess i don't hate it either i am kind of down the middle it's gonna be better than average but i am not just fawning over it like some people are like tessa said 
there are some good things and some bad things, but for me, there are two things that really keep it from being something that I would have absolutely loved but I don't hate it either. I think I'm actually somewhat in the middle myself. Let's go into the plot, which starts, we see in the 90s, early 90s, this doctor and some of her co-workers in a hospital are treating somebody named Gabriel that we can kind of see. It looks kind of horrific. Something is terribly wrong with their face. Things are getting out of hand. Speakers are blowing up. Electricity is going crazy. It's talking to him through like the radio and stuff somehow. People die. Move to modern day. Madison Lake, who's a pregnant woman, She's living in Seattle. Her husband, Derek, is a real jerk, abusive piece of shit. They're having a fight, and he says some of the most horrible shit imaginable to her. Like, are you going to lose this one like all your others? Maybe you should just think about not getting pregnant anymore. That This is your fault. And she smashes her head against a wall. She locks herself in the bedroom and eventually passes out. But when she wakes up, she finds him super dead, like his head twisted clean around. Now, we saw kind of what happened, which was a ghostly black cloaky type figure which chased him down and it just murderized the shit at him as black cloak ghostly figures tend to do she finds out that said killers must still be there ends up unconscious wakes up in the hospital we find out that she's got a sister played by maddie hansen who I thought looked a little bit like Florence Pugh. A little bit. But that, yes, her baby didn't survive the attack. We introduced two two police detectives, Kakoa Shaw and his partner, Regina Moss, who end up being a bigger part of this film than I would have thought they were going to be at this point, played by George Young and Nicole Brianna White, who are trying to figure out what's going on here, because this was a mysterious death, no question. She, that night, after coming back home, has an experience where she sees the same figure, Gabriel, murdering someone where literally she is transported to the place where the killing is is taking place and watches this happen incapable of doing anything about it and this is sort of a running thing as she starts having this experience and eventually realizes i'm going to have to explain to the police that this is what's happening and they are absolutely not going to believe me but as happens in movies with this sort of thing eventually there's a well it's kind of hard to deny something's going on and this woman knows something because she is seeing shit that no one else could know about unless she was the killer herself and how could she possibly be because this killer when the policeman finally sees it is incredibly superhumanly almost agile and moves in a very strange fashion and in fact even sees its face which is as we saw in the beginning of the film very horrible and mutated so he's like okay well that can't be her but what is the connection and we're starting to get into the point where i go i'm not sure how much more i want to say because this film starting about halfway through the second act has a series of reveals leading to a complete completely nutball reveal in the third act that only succeeds for me because a it's crazy ambitious b it brings back one of the big influences of this film under the surface of which there are many i don't want to say the specific one he pulls it off visually on screen and i think that's why ultimately a lot of people like this when otherwise they might have just laughed at how absurd it all is it's pretty out there but i actually kind of guessed the twist pretty early yeah i was with you tessa it's actually based off of an urban legend which i won't get into but is originally thought is something for real and then it was debunked what's the name of the urban legend i just never heard this before so if anybody's listening to this just skip like a minute ahead yeah it's based off of a urban legend a man named edward mordrake if you want to check that out chris you can just google it many aspects of its plot and of its stylistics are lifted lovingly from other films the one i keep seeing people never mention which might be just because 
because the film is too old for a lot of the general younger skewing critic world out there that are assembled on Rotten Tomatoes, is The Eyes of Laura Mars, a film that was very well received when it came out in the 70s, a thriller about a woman who mysteriously starts being able to see things through the eyes of a killer and then finds out, oh my god, they have a deeper connection she didn't know about. Right off the bat, I'm like, oh, clearly he's seen this movie a bunch Mm. of times. But as well, people keep pointing out Giallo as a major influence, and I'm like, it's there in terms of visually, because the killer's like in this black trench coat, they hide its face using hair, as always it makes a point of putting on the black gloves. A lot of the film is shot using sort of red lighting. I get it. Other than that, I definitely wouldn't call it a modern-day Giallo. (laughs) No, the poster art's very Giallo for it. The poster art's great. It looks like a photograph, and they've kind of made it look a bit more painterly by simplifying like her pupils. Turned up the contrast a little bit, and then a red filter, and then took all the detail out of her iris. There's a lot of camera tricks going on here. I think Juan's best trick he did is with the creature itself, Gabriel, because when we actually do get full-fledged Gabriel running around in the third act, which initially seems like he's going to be a ghost, and it's not that long where we reveal, okay, to some degree, Gabriel decidedly has a physical humanity, will run from someone when they start shooting at them. There's this long sequence towards the end that's just straight-up action, like something out of one of the Raid movies, almost, (laughs) but like with the neat, jiggery, creepy style that brings back all the times I said, I wish someone would find a way to effectively mix martial arts and horror, and this kind of does it. It kind of, yeah, it kind of does it. There's a little bit to be desired in some of the CGI near the end. If you're watching it and you're into it, you're probably going to forgive it that. I see a lot of these horror influences and everything that everyone's talking about. There are a few that I have seen reviews of where I'm going, really? You're comparing it to that? I don't even get that. But what I am really puzzled about, I looked at this and I had a couple of problems with the tonal shifts. You know, not only the tonal shifts as far as the plot goes, but I had a real problem with the score because I thought tonally it did not match the film we were watching at all. One of those things was, if this is a horror film, is it a straight horror film? Is it kind of a tongue-in-cheek, you know, a little bit of comedy, we know what's going on, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, or are we doing the straight-up horror comedy? To me, the score was a straight-up horror comedy, and that is not what this film is. I mean, literally to the point where there's a couple of times when there are reveals, and I almost put those in quotes because it was even some of the smaller reveals, you know, almost kind of a thing like, you know, I'm not just your brother, I'm your older brother or something, you know, I mean, something that shouldn't be that big a reveal. And the score, even though it didn't use the three notes, dun-dun-dun, it used three other notes that were very very, very similar to those. <laughs> and it got really loud right at that point. And I was like, did you just really do a dun, dun, dun? The wow. camera work does the exact same thing. It does. It does. They zoom way in on them at the time, almost like, you know, the old meme with the, the woodchuck, dun, 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 or whatever, the prairie dog, and it, <laughs> right in his face. I'm like, what? <laughs> People are calling attention to this. And doing like, oh, this is just more evidence that he means for this to be nothing but bug nuts and for you to kind of like laugh at it, but in a good way, because he's in on the joke. And I'm like, you guys need to go back and rewatch James Wan's other films. Now, I admit the one we've all probably watched the most is his best one, The Conjuring, which is a tremendous balance of restraint, but really effective frights and knowing exactly when to do what he does. And the same guy is doing the score for this. They did it for Insidious uh, and a few others of his films. If you watch Insidious and Saw, he is doing the exact same shit with his camera, with his scoring, that he's doing here. 
And I think the thing is, it's just a style of filmmaking that Juan has certainly existed before him and many people have done since, that he's just really good at the technical aspects of doing a film like this. It's faintly Raimi-esque, but not to the point where it becomes totally cartoonish. But I think that's just how James Wan makes horror films, generally speaking. But here, the plot is so bug nuts that people just go, okay, well, then that other stuff must be part of that bug nuts. I'm going, no, I think that's just how James Wan films a horror film. Yeah, and I'm just maybe one of those people that that doesn't work for me because I get that you want us to be in on the joke, and I get that maybe you're in on the joke, but if you're going to do me a straight-up horror comedy, do that. All those tonal things don't work in the same film for me. That's where we're going to differ, though. I think, whereas I say, I think he's been doing this for all. I like the way that he does it. I don't think it's like high quality intellectual horror, but I think he's really good at it. Like Insidious is a very silly horror film. I mean, the bad guy is basically Darth Maul from Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, but it works. His stuff is like the movie equivalent of going to an actual haunted house. He does jump scares. He does bright garishly colored things. That's kind of his whole deal. But he's got the money and the actual technical talent to back it up with what he wants to do. Other people who do this with less money and less talent, it just looks terrible and predictable. And still, there's a lot of going through all his movies, very predictable jump scares, that background thing that quickly runs across the frame, shit we've seen a billion billion times before. This is not like a new masterpiece of horror. I'm sorry. It's just not. But I think he means for these to be kind of dumb, fun horror films. I don't think he intends for any of these to be overly scary. He intends for him to be like, ah, the thing where your girlfriend grabs onto you and puts her head into your chest as, and the popcorn goes everywhere. I think he's overall good at it. Those sort of movies are just not for everybody. This is definitely the craziest thing he's attempted yet. And I think when we get into that third act, I, I think he's embracing the things that people have liked previously in his horror films that are like that and going, well, fine, if you like that, I'll just keep going. I'll just put it into overdrive. Yeah, there's stuff here I thought was fantastic and really well done, and there's stuff that I, well, not think was badly done, was just kind of shit we've seen many, many times before. But let's go to final thoughts. Tessa? I agree that the tone in this was kind of inconsistent and wasn't sure if it was supposed to be serious or not. The beginning, it was kind of schlocky and there's some really bad writing. Like the doctor says to Gabriel, you've been a bad, bad boy, Gabriel. And I was just like, big eye roll to that. (laughs) And there was really bad writing at the end too, where Maddie's talking to her sister and it's all, it's the family we made along the way, you know, it's the siblings we made along the way kind of thing. It was (laughs) just really heavy handed and... Let's not forget the weird thing with the cop who's got a crush on the other cop and that goes absolutely nowhere. They have her awkwardly swoon and stuff. Like, he's like, we need to find that missing half. And he walks away and she goes, yeah, don't we all? Not really important to the plot, but I guess it's just like, she's a character. And this thing was all over the place. There are elements I really enjoyed. And then others that just... We switched gears really early on from Mad Scientist Laboratory and then bam, we've switched over to something more mundane with a woman with her abusive husband and they want to have a kid and and how does that all tie together? And, you know, we eventually get there, but I don't know. There was a scene I did like where it was like an aerial bedroom camera pan where she's walking room to room and it reminded me of the Clue board game <laughs> uh, or like a scene from a Wes Anderson film. Like there's some technically some really cool things going on here and the gore and makeup and SFX minus some CGI stuff and fight scenes were really well done. There's some things to enjoy here if you're a horror fan, but it's definitely nothing I'm amazing. I don't think this is the most awesome horror movie I've ever seen. I'll probably give this six out of 10 dislocated limbs. Ray? 
if you are a hard, hardcore horror fan, I'm not sure this is for you. If you are a James Wan horror fan, sure, this is for you. And I have been saying a lot of things that I don't like about this film. I don't want you to think that there's nothing good about this film because that's not true either. Like Tessa said, there's some good special effects and gore. Matter of fact, some of the practical special effects with the creature are really good. There's also those fun jump scares, the ones that aren't completely obvious, but you do get a little jump out of them and things like that. But there's a lot of it that's also overwrought and tonally all over the place. And I do applaud, especially in the third act, that this thing kind of goes off the rails in a good way. I mean, it goes way further than you think it's going to go, even with the things that they've given you up until that point. I would recommend to some of my friends and not to others, and that's that's where I'm going to fall on it. But don't think that I just hated this film. I didn't not right hate it, but I did not love it. 6.5 out of 10 deadbolt locks that do you absolutely no good. Do they ever in horror films? Never. Wouldn't it be great if Never. just once the killer is completely baffled and, and the movie ends because he's just like, I couldn't figure out how to get past the deadbolt or that little chain. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, she chained the door. Well, oh, I do. <laughs> I might as well retire from killing. I actually do like James Wan's, with the exception of Saw, I could never get into the Saw movies. Sorry, I still don't see the appeal of them, really. I think they're pretty much uniformly terrible. Even the first one is thoroughly mediocre. I've never gotten the love for it. But from then on, I have liked a lot what Wan was doing. And I think overall, I really like this one, too. I definitely felt like I was expecting something a little bit better after people came out of it so strong raving about it that I knew, like, one of their favorite horror movies ever. I've literally heard, like, three people say that. Maybe you actually saw it in a theater, which I would have much preferred that experience than watching it at home. No question about that whatsoever. I definitely feel like I probably would have reacted stronger to it if I had. But there is a lot to like here. There's nothing I specifically dislike, because even the really dumb, banal dialogue at points kind of fits the type of movie they're putting together. But imagine if he had actually spent more time with the script and the dialogue and written it really well. You can mix things of quality with things that are intentional silly and bad and the film is going to be better because of it it always feels like sort of a lazy cop-out when it's not overtly a comedy to go oh well we're not gonna worry too much if these characters are realistic or if the dialogue is sounds like anything anybody would ever say because we're going for ridiculous or you're just a little lazy and that part of it felt pretty damn lazy i at points was not laughing at the dialogue because it's not laugh out loud bad it's just banal bad as is some of the, a lot of the stuff in the first two acts, where it was like, yeah, I get it. But as it goes on, and we start learning more of what's going on here, and as we actually start to really see Gabriel, because the screen, it's great whenever Gabriel's actually on screen and moving around. I really started to get into it more. And when, as we get to that third act twist, I was like, okay, this was one of a series of possibilities I entertained in my head that became more and more likely as it went along. But it was super fun the way you actually see it happen. When you see the thing happen, I was like, that was so neato. And then, like I said, it goes into a, what if like a monster was wandering around, like murdering hundreds of people, like in the ending of American Werewolf in London. I was like, wow, this is super neat. And I want, I wish the whole movie had been more like this. I think I was very colored in my pleasure for this film because of how strong that third act ended up being for me. There's stuff in here I could totally see people going, I hate everything about this movie. And there's stuff in here 
here. I can see people going, I love everything about this movie, but I'm a jaded old dude who has seen tens of thousands of horror movies, many of which multiple times. And I think that ultimately I came down a little like, yeah, I see what you're doing. I mean, I like it. I think you could have done a better job than you did, but you did bring some new things to the table. And hopefully you've got a whole audience of people who will want to see the films that influenced this one. And boy, are there a lot. I would even argue Bram Stoker's Dracula at points was an influence, which seemed directly called out by a weird scene with a carriage that appears sort of randomly in here because a part of it takes place in the Seattle underground. Don't ask. Although I'm sure the people who run the Seattle underground tours are happy right now. I'm going to end up giving this film seven out of 10 total award redesigns that really just kind of brought that award together, really sort of brought the real purpose out for them. I'll be clear. That is one unquestionably of the coolest new killer who we can presume we will definitely see again in another series of films, weapons that we've seen in a while. It's like, okay, anything else you can say about that killer? They've got style. True. And boy, was this set up for a sequel. I mean, it's a James Wan film, (laughs) so Mm. by definition. (laughs) 